Father, again, we just come to your word, and, and uh, today, Lord, as we look at this story of Jacob, we, we see that he's in a situation where he's pretty much up against the wall, Lord. He's not so much in trouble, but, but Lord, he's in a position, you know, he was in a position where, where uh, just life was just, just so mundane. He was going nowhere, and Lord, he wanted out of that rut, uh, Lord, and you showed him a way out, and that's what we want to look at today, Lord, because... I think there's a lot of us sometimes we get into a position uh, where maybe we're in trouble, but maybe even when we're not in trouble, we're just in a rut, Lord. We seem to be going nowhere, and we just, we, we, we need help from you. That's the only way we can get out of those situations, Lord, and, and uh, today you'll show us how you took Jacob out of that situation, and Lord, uh, when you take us out of a situation like that, it's going to be maybe at a... Uh, probably, uh, more than likely, in a much different way. But, Lord, the principle is still the same. That The principle, the lesson that we're going to learn here is a, about these sheep is a lesson that we can apply to all our lives. It's a lesson that we see throughout the Bible. And, Lord, it's an encouraging lesson. So uh, I just ask today that you teach us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, just these great truths that you have for us here in your word. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You have your Bibles turned to the Genesis chapter number 30, and we'll be picking up there in verse number 25. Back in 1989, when I got saved, my life was pretty much a big mess. I mean, I had, uh, my business had collapsed, was crumbling, uh, I was, uh, in trouble with the law, I was in trouble with the RAS, I was deep in debt, and more than anything else, I needed a job. And, I, you know, I was new to Christianity, but I knew where to go to try to find a job, and I just begged the Lord to help me find a job. And I was a CPA, but my credit was ruined, so there was nobody going to hire me as an accountant, and, and I just didn't know where I was going to find a job where I could make a decent living. I just just didn't seem like uh, there was any place that was going to hire me in the situation that I was in. Well, my wife went to, she was pregnant with Eli, and she went to check on uh, diapers to see maybe if we could uh, get diapers at a cheaper price if we used a diaper service. And so she went to the diaper service, and she came back home, and she had an application in her hand. And she said, uh, hey, they've got a job for a uh, somebody to di- drive a diaper delivery truck. And I said, oh, no. And uh, then I looked at the qualifications for that job, and the qualifications were that you knew the city of Las Vegas, you knew the roads, all the streets very well, you, 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 you knew the layout of the city, and so you would know how to, where to go and how to where, drive the van and all of that kind of stuff, and also that you had experience driving the van. Well, I only knew two streets in Las Vegas, and that was Las Vegas Boulevard and Sands Drive. And I didn't even have a car, so I wasn't going to be able to even learn where those streets were. I didn't even have a map. Uh, And I certainly didn't have any experience driving a diaper van or any kind of van of any sort. So I just, you know, I just said, hey, Brent, there's no way they're going to hire me for this job. And I tossed the application. And as soon as I tossed that application, I heard a voice inside of me say, pick that application up and fill it out. And I said, I didn't hear that. <laughs> and then I heard that voice again, pick that application up and fill it out. And, uh, man, I, I said, okay, I'll fill it out, but, but uh, there's no way I'm going to get the job. So I filled out the application, and, and I uh, uh, took it to the, to the diaper service, which was called Diaper Fresh, and I turned it in, and and they called back everybody. There was like 50 people that applied for the job. And they called back everybody, and they gave us a test on the, uh, with a map of the city. And you'd have to put the, place, you know, put the dots on the different places that they had listed there. I didn't, couldn't get one dot. And I just, you know, I said, I'm sorry. You know, I, I gave it back to them. I said, man, I don't know where any of these places are. And uh, I got a call a couple of days later. I said, well, they didn't the diaper service, but I got a call a couple of days later, and and the uh, guy said, would you, you want to come in for an interview? And I said, yeah, I'll come in for an interview. So I went to interview with the owner, and, and he said, you know, I was looking at your application. He said, you, you know, you really failed that test. You did worse than anybody. He said, well, I'm looking at your application, and I just really brought you in here because I was wondering what in the world 
with a guy with your credentials, why in the world are you applying for a job like this? And I began to tell him my story and that I was in deep trouble and that with those credentials, I couldn't use those at all in the mess that I was in. And, and, I, and, and he looked at me and he said, he said, you know, I don't know why, but, but something in me is telling me I need to hire you for this job. And he said, what are your plans? I said, my plans are to, uh, God's called me in the ministry. My plans are to go to seminary as soon as I possibly can. He said, I said, it might be a year. It might be two years. It might be three years. Well, it was three years. But, but uh, he said, you know what? I'm going to hire you for this job. And, you know, I learned a lesson from that story, a lesson that God has taught me over and over and over again in my Christian walk. A lesson that Jacob's going to learn. I'm going to save the lesson for a little, a little bit later. But it's a lesson we're going to see here in this story of Jacob and this, these spotted sheep. So, so we want to look at this. It's a, it's a really good lesson. And, and I want to pick up where we left off last time. Do you remember the story? Jacob had had 11 of his 12 sons were born. Uh, he had a daughter. So he's got all of these little children running around. And he needs a bigger place. And he wants a place of his own. And I think at this point, he's been there 14 years, and he's tired of Uncle Laban. He's tired of working for really nothing. And, and he decides that, that he wants to go back home. I've, I've had enough of this. I just want to go back home. So, so pick up now in, with me in chapter uh, 30, and let's begin in verse number 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away. I've had enough of this that I may go to my own place and to my own country. He hadn't seen his parents in, in 14 years at this point. And he says, he says, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go for you know that my service, the hard work which I have done for you. I've served you seven years for Leah, the Leah who I didn't even want. I've served you seven years for Rachel, and I work really hard for you, and, and I've got nothing to show for it. And so then he says, and and, and, and then Laban says to him in verse number 27, he, Laban said to him, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience. Now, note that word right there. That the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name your wages and I will give it to you. Now, that word experience right there is really, a, if you have the New King James or the King James, I, I'm not sure what the King James has, but, but the New King James has experience. And it's really a bad translation. Because literally the word there means divination or enchantments. And so what Laban had done, uh, he had gone to his gods. I mean, here he sees Jacob, and Jacob is this really blessed man. And he can't figure it out. Why is he so blessed? I mean, everything I've done up until now really hasn't been blessed. And now this guy comes along, and he's really blessed. And so he goes to his gods, and he asks his gods, why is this man so blessed? And the gods tell him why he's so blessed. The reason he's so blessed is because the Lord is on his side. The Lord is the one who, the Lord Jehovah, the greatest God of all, is the one who has blessed him. That's sad that Laban had to find that out from, through enchantments and divination. And I don't think he did anything about it. You know, it kind of reminds me of the situation we're in in America today. I mean, for, 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 for years, for decades, for centuries, people have looked at this country and they have wondered, people overseas, and they have wondered, why in the world are we so blessed? Why is this country so blessed when other countries aren't blessed like, even Europe's not blessed like the United States of America is blessed? And, 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 and the secret is that we started out as a sort of a Christian nation. I really believe we were a Christian nation at one point. We certainly have our roots in Christianity. Our, our constitution is rooted in Christianity. Our laws are rooted in Christianity. And a lot of Christians came over here and founded this country. And that's out of the reason I believe that God has blessed us. I mean, our coins say, in God we trust. We sing, God bless America. And, and so God has blessed us. And so you have all of these people who have fought to get out of their country and fought to get into America, but they, they, they're not fighting to get into America so that they can uh, be blessed, get in, in on the Christianity. They're fighting to get into America so they can get in on the blessings that come from us being a Christian nation. But what's happened over the centuries, and we're reaching the pinnacle of this now, what's happened over the years is, we have, 
we have become a pluralistic society. And, and I mean, I was listening to a lady last night, a very articulate lady who's running for president. And, and she's, a, she, she's from Hawaii, and she's a Hindu. I mean, I mean that's the kind of society we've become. And, and so, so uh, at some point, I wonder when those blessings are going to run out. And when we become so pluralistic that we totally turn our back on the Lord, which I think we're there right now, and, and then God pulls back on his blessings. Enjoy him while you got him is what I can tell you there. But here's Laban, and he sees Jacob. And Jacob is blessed. And he figures out the secret by, through his divination and enchantments with his pagan gods. I don't think it changes uh, his, his, his beliefs but, but, uh, or who he worships. But he at least knows that it's a good thing to have Jacob around. He's wise enough to keep Jacob around. And so he tells Jacob, name your price. You name your price and I'm going to give it to you. So Jacob said to him, you know, in verse number 29, you know how... I have served you, and how your livestock have been with me. For what you had before I came was little. Hey, you weren't doing so well before I came. And it has increased to a great amount, and, and it's because the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own household? You know, here I've got these little kids running around, and, and a lot of little mouse to feed. I'm over 90 years old, and you're getting rich, and I don't have anything. And so if you want me to stay here, you're going to have to make me a really attractive offer. So look what happens in verse number 31. So he said, what shall I give you? In other words, what, you tell me what you want. I'm going to give it to you because I want to keep you around. And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I don't want anything from you. The reason I don't want anything from you, Uncle Laban, is because anything you give comes with strings attached to it. I mean, I wanted Rachel, and you gave me Leah along with her. So I don't want you to give me anything. If, I just want you to do this one thing for me, and that's it. Here's the deal. So he gives him the deal beginning in verse number 32. He says, let me pass through all your flocks today removing from them all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones, all the sheep that were born with recessive genes. I mean, the ones that aren't thoroughbreds, the the flawed sheep and the flawed goats, that's the one I want you to remove from your herd. Now, he's not asking for the ones that have already been born. What he's asking for, I want you to get them out of here, and then any one of any. Flawed sheep or goats that are born after this, they will be mine. So he says, he says, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. Now, he's really talk, not talking about those sheep. He, he understands he's not going to get those sheep. But he's talking about the ones that will be, the wages will be the ones that are, are speckled and spotted and brown that will be born in the future. So my righteousness will answer for me, in the, in the future, in the time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, look, I want you to know, I'm, gonna, I'm counting on God to get me a lot of speckled and spotted and brown sheep. And you're not going to find, I'm going to separate those and I'm going to take those home and they're going to be my herd. And you're not going to find any of your sheep in them because your sheep are thoroughbreds. And you're going to have all your spotted and speckled and brown sheep. You're going to have removed them. And so, so, uh, so he says, so my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown and lambs in my herd will be considered stolen. So if you find any, any of your purebred sheep there, or any of the, take the other ones away, so I'm not going to have any of those, but if you find any of your purebred in my herd, then, 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 then uh, you can consider them stolen and you can take them. That's basically what he says right here. All right. Then here's Laban. And he's thinking, man, what a sucker. What a sucker. Because anybody that raises sheep or animals knows that if you breed thoroughbreds with thoroughbreds, what are you going to get? Thoroughbreds. Very rarely will you get an offspring with recessive genes, spotted or speckled. If it happened, it was going to happen over a lots of years, over decades, for him to build a herd worth anything. And, hey, 
he's 90 years old now. He'll almost be dead by then. And I will have seen my grandchildren raised and, and I will have used him another 20 years or so. That's what, that's what Laban's thinking. So, and so Laban said to him in verse number 34, Oh, that it were according to your word. Hey, man, do it. Do exactly what you, you said. And then Laban's going to make sure now that these spotted sheep and these speckled sheep and these brown sheep stay away from those thoroughbreds so they don't breed and, and bring these flawed offspring. So he says in verse number 35, so Laban, so it says in verse 35, so Laban removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and the brown ones among the lambs, and the speckled and the spotted too. And he gave them to the hands of his sons. And this is what he said. Then, then he put them, he tells his sons to put them three days journey between himself, or between themselves and that flock and Jacob. And uh, Jacob was to lead the rest of the flocks of Laban, the purebred flocks. So what he's doing here, he's preventing any, any breeding between the flawed sheep and the thoroughbred sheep. Now, watch what Jacob does. It's really interesting right here. And, and uh, I don't know if people, I'm not a rancher, so I don't know if they still practice this today, but I doubt it very seriously. But look what he does in verse number 37. Now, Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of almond and of chestnut trees, and he pulled the white peeled the white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rod. So he has this rod that has different colors on it. It's got two sides that are dark and one side, and in the middle it's white. And, and the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters or in the, where, where they, in the ditches where they, where they watered the sheep and in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that, so that they should conceived when they came to drink. So what he's done, he takes these rods, he puts them down in the water, and if you look down, if you were a sheep or or goat, and you look down into the water, you would see stripes, is what you would see. Now there's three theories, as far a couple of theories, as far as uh, what those rods did. Well, one theory is that when they looked on those rods, that they receive these subliminal messages and they see that these rods are striped and then they think in their mind striped and then when they conceive, while they're conceiving, uh, they have these thoughts of stripe. So, so the subliminal thoughts of stripe somehow change the DNA and that produces the striped and spotted sheep. Well, to me, that sounds like an old wives' tale. Uh, that might have been something that Jacob had practiced. That might have been something that he, he didn't realize that it was the Lord that was blessing him, but that might have been something that he had practiced before. You get a little bit of a clue, I think, of what Jacob's thinking here, though, when you look at the translation of this world, word where it says, look at the last phrase in verse 38. It says, so that they may conceive when they come to drink. That word conceive means to make hot. I don't want to get too graphic here, but I think what it's saying is that they would go into heat when they would see these, look into the water, and they would see these striped rods in the water. So there was something mentally when the sheep and the goats looked down into those feed, uh, watering troughs that excited them and put them Guys, don't go, never mind, don't go. <laughs> anyway, Ron, there's something that excited them, and, and so it, the women went into heat, and they bred. And so what he was doing here, he was making for, in his mind, it, at least that's what some people believe, this situation where they would produce more sheep. And the more sheep they produced, even with thoroughbreds, the more sheep they produced, eventually they're going to produce one with recessive genes. And, and, and so the offspring is going to be striped or spotted or speckled. Uh, and that was his motive there. I don't know about that either. I think maybe Jacob had practiced some of these things. Uh, and I think 
maybe, you know, the, this was a primitive culture, and I think maybe he had practiced some of those things, and he had been successful when he was back with his father, Isaac, and he was uh, herding their sheep, and he had seen the sheep herders use it, and so maybe it's something he just picked up, and he was going to use Basically, what he was trying to do was get them to mate as much as possible. That's, at this point, the way you would look at it, to get them to mate as much as possible so that they would have as many sheep as possible, and eventually they would produce some spotted and speckled and, and uh, striped sheep and goats. That's not really what's happening here. You, you, you're going to see in a minute. We're going we're we're to get the answer to what he was doing here in just a minute. But let's, let's, go, let's go to verse 19, and we'll pick up there. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 39. So the flocks could see before the rods. Now, they, they, they went into heat before the rods. And the flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made, and he does something else here to try to get them to think spotted and speckled and streaked and, and, and uh, flawed. Here's what he does. He says, so Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown of the flock of Laban. Remember that flock that was miles away. He had them look that way, and maybe by looking that way, they would get another subliminal thought that, that hey, it's good to be striped, it's good to be spotted, it's good to be speckled, and, and uh, then they would be in heat, and that's the kind of sheep that what they would produce. Now, I doubt very seriously that that would work, but uh, this is what he's doing. And, and, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. All right, now going on in verse 41 and it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived he does something here that is wise breeding what what he's going to do whenever they came into heat whenever the whenever the stronger livestock came into heat that jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods so what he was doing he was trying to get from his herd he wanted to get the strongest of the sheep because the strongest of the sheep were the healthiest of the sheep, the biggest of the sheep, uh, the best of the sheep, and the best of the goats. And so, so uh, he breeds strong males with strong females. That is a smart breeding practice. That is certainly something that is practiced today. He says, he says in verse 42, but when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. He didn't, he didn't care whether they got, uh, went in the heat or not. He separated them. And, and if they bred, they, they were feeble, and they would breed weak sheep. Who would they belong to? They would thoroughbreds. They would produce, produce thoroughbreds, and they would belong to old Uncle Laban. So that's what he was doing there. And all of this sounds crazy at this point, but, but watch what happens. Look what happens in verse number 43, the last verse we'll look at. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks female and male servants and camels and donkeys. And so here is Jacob doing these things that almost look insane. They don't make any sense. And he's doing all of this, and it works. He becomes exceedingly prosperous. What's it mean, exceedingly prosperous? More prosperous than anybody around. More prosperous than anybody in Iran. More prosperous prosperous even than his old uncle Laban. He becomes exceedingly prosperous. I mean, he was making so much money and his herd had gotten so big that he had to hire more herdsmen. He had to hire male servants and then his house got so big, the household, that he had to hire more female servants. And he had all his money and so he's able to even buy camels and he's able to even buy donkeys at this point. So he's doing great. I'm going to tell you what. That makes you want to go out, buy you a couple of thoroughbred sheep, get you some almond rods and some chestnut rods and some poplar rods and, and shave them and, in the middle and throw them down in the, in the watering trough so that they're striped and then have them look at the, the, the uh, rods and then they go in the heat and then they'll produce for you these strong, healthy sheep and they'll do it so prolifically that in a matter of a few years you'll be rich don't try that it's not going to work it worked for jacob but it's probably not going to work for you 
Look, Jacob had a secret to his success. Oh, we can say all right away, it was the Lord, but it's something, something more going on here. It wasn't just that he believed in the Lord, because Jacob really had a weak faith. And it, it, it wasn't the rods, it wasn't the fact he faced his sheep towards that other herd. Uh, it wasn't any of those things. You know what it was? The Lord had joined him in the ranching business. Anytime you can get the Lord into your business, you're going to prosper. Anytime you get the Lord in your business, you're going to prosper. Jump ahead to chapter 31. And we'll get back to this next week. We're not going to go through any of the other verses in 31, but these few here. But in, when we pick up here, Jacob is ready to leave. He's made himself, you know, a millionaire at this point, basically, you could say. And, and he's ready to go home. And he's t- telling Rachel and Leah about his plans to leave Laban, to, to get out of there and head home. And this is what he tells them. I want you to look beginning in verse number 9. He, he, he tells them where his success had come from. He said that in verse number 9 that it was God who has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And then look what he says in verse number 10. He tells him how he did it. Look at how he did it. It said, and it happened at the time when the flocks were in heat. I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. So he sees a dream and he sees his flocks in heat. And, he, and, and maybe he saw in the dream these striped rods, and that's why he used the striped rods. I don't think they had anything to do with, with it. And maybe he saw his, his lambs and his goats facing that other herd at times. But whatever it was, he sees in a dream. This is the main thing he sees in a dream. And behold, the rams which mounted the flocks, which leaped upon the flocks. He's talking about them having relations here. The rams who, who mounted these females were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. Now, how did he see that? Because all of these, all of these rams in his herd were solid color. None of them were, were flawed. They were all thoroughbreds. Well, what God allowed him to do, God allowed him to see, even though when they were breeding, they were solid color, in this dream, he, allowed him, he showed him a secret. He said, these rams that are about to mount your females, he said, they are carrying recessive genes. They're carrying the recessive genes of the streaked and speckled and gray and spotted sheep and goats. And so he was given this vision of these rams, even though in reality they were solid color. They were, God had created them in such a way that they were carrying these recessive genes and they were all going to produce uh, uh, these flawed animals. Really strong animals, but flawed in the sense that they weren't solid color. And then look at the next verse. The Lord said to him, he actually speaks to him in verse number 11. He says, then the angel of the Lord spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are speckled, spotted, uh, streaked rather, speckled and gray spotted. Now here's what he says. Watch what he says. For I have seen what Laban is doing to you. I've seen what Laban is doing to you. I've seen that Laban has treated you unfairly. And what you sow is, in God's eyes, is what you reap. So we're going to treat him the same way as he's treated you. From now on, you're going to be playing with a stacked dick. Uh, those rams that mate with his livestock are going to be carrying genes that are going to produce speckled, spotted, and striped sheep and goats. Now, when did Jacob have this dream? He didn't have it when we come to this point in chapter. He's just telling them how it all, he's telling his wife how it all happened. How God, had, Jacob did, you know, it almost looked like Jacob was, man, what a man of faith to do all these things, presumptuously do all these things, and then expect God to bless it. That's not what happened here. And you've got to get that part of this lesson down. Jacob had had a dream, and God had told him what to do. And, and, and so this dream came to Jacob probably when he was negotiating with Laban about leaving. He begged the Lord, Lord, I want to get out of here. Uh, what can I do to get out of here? And so he gave him this dream. And, and, and watch this too in this lesson. He didn't say, okay, mount up, get all your stuff and just run for home. He didn't say that. 
I'm going to make you rich, but it's going to take time. This isn't going to happen overnight. It actually took six years for him to, to become exceedingly prosperous so that he could go home without his tail between his legs and go back home. And so, so uh, uh, Jacob wakes, wakes up from this dream. He, he goes and negotiates. He's encouraged. I mean, you've you got to be encouraged. The Lord's giving him a way out. And he's encouraged, and, and, and uh, he wakes up from the dream, and he's got a choice at this point. He's got a choice at this point. Just like I had a choice when I had that application in my hand. I could have said, I'm not filling out that application. I'm not going to work in a diaper truck. I mean, the first day I worked in that job, it took me like 18 hours to run that route. Because I didn't know where all the streets were. By the time I finished that job, after I was in that job six months, I was working that job in four hours. They couldn't believe it. I, could, I had it so figured out I could get it. It's like God just get, blessed me with certain routes and certain ways to go. And, and, and certain times I got up at like 4 o'clock in the morning so I didn't face any traffic. And boy, by 8 or 9 o'clock, I was home. I was home and I was able to keep my kids while Brenda went to work. And, and God had blessed us in such a way because I listened to God. I'd done what God had told me to do, what he had clearly told me to do. God blessed that. And God, sometimes when he's going to ask you to do something that you, maybe you don't think is going to be a good thing, it might turn out to be a really good thing. It might seem stupid. It might seem something that just doesn't make sense. It certainly will probably seem, or it probably will seem impossible. But you've got to do it. Jacob had a choice here. He could say, look, I've been heard, you're raising sheep all my life, Lord, and there's no way we're going to get speckled sheep from thoroughbred stock. I don't care what I saw in that vision. But he didn't do that. He heard the Lord, and he obeyed the Lord. And he said, I'm going to go make a deal with old Uncle Laban. I'm going to make a deal that's going to look really attractive to Uncle Laban, but it's really going to work out for my benefit. It's going to bless me. And that's exactly what happened. And, and the other thing that you see in this story, you see Jacob acting on his faith. I mean, he had to believe. This was all about faith. He had to believe what he had saw in that dream. He, 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 he did everything that he knew how to get those, those animals to uh, produce prolifically, uh, to, to, to get those uh, females in the heat so that they would mate with those males. He wanted them to mate as much as possible because he, he knew by faith that those offspring were going to be his. And so the more he could get them to produce, the, the faster they would, he would raise the herd and the quicker he would get out of there. And so by faith, he acted on what he knew from God. Now, whether or not God told him to put the speckled rods in there or whether or not God told him to have the flocks face the other flocks, uh, whether or not... Uh, any of that worked at all, that didn't matter. What mattered was that Jacob believed the dream and he was doing everything he could to facilitate that dream. If God gives you instructions, that's your job, to act on faith and do what God's called you to do. And I believe, I tell you what, outside of salvation, I believe that might be the greatest lesson you can learn in the Bible. Because God is not a mundane God. God is not the God of ruts. God is the God of deliverances, of blessing. And he want, I don't care what situation you're in, he wants to deliver you from that situation, but you've got to give it to the Lord and you've got to trust the Lord like Jacob did right here. Jacob believed and he acted, and if he hadn't believed and he hadn't acted, listen, what, I'm going to tell you what would have happened. He would have never got out of there. He would have, he, he, and if he got out of there, he would have gone home with his tail between his legs. He, he, he would have never, more than likely, he would have never got out of there. He would have died in Haran, and he would have spent his life as Uncle Laban's a virtual slave. That's what he was. Hired hand, at best, getting a meal for what he did. That would have been it. That would have been his life. But he got tired of that. He got tired of that, and he wanted out of that. And he begged God to show him a way out. 
And God showed him a way out. God is not a respecter of persons. God will do the same for you, and he will do the same for me. Every, for every one of us. If you're in a rut here today, I can tell you what. God doesn't want you in a rut. And he will get you out of that rut if you'll learn this lesson right here. And it's a lesson that's repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. I mean, Abraham. Look at Abraham. Abraham was called to leave his hometown. He had lived there all his life. He was a 75-year-old man. He didn't know anything else about the rest of the world. And he was called by God to leave that land. He could have stayed there and that would have been it. But he left. He picked up by faith and he left. I mean, you could just just follow the Bible. One character after the other and you see this story. You remember the, the widow of Zarephath. You remember her, it was the days of Elijah, and there was this great famine, and the famine was going to last three years. And right on the early part of the famine, Elijah comes to her house, and he's starving. He says, make me a cake of bread. Or, and and, and uh, she said, I'm not going to make you a cake of bread. I've, all I've got is one cup of flour in that bin. I've got one cup of flour in that bin, and I'm going to make a cup, a cake for me and my son, and then we're going to lay down and we're going to die. Elijah said, make me a cake, and that flour will never run out of that bin. That bin will have flour in it for for as long as this famine lasts, for the entire three years. What did she have to do? She had to make the cake. She made the cake, and she ate off of the the flour from that, ate cakes from that bin uh, for the entire three years of that famine. You remember the widow in the days of Elisha, the widow. Who, uh, whose husband was a prophet and he had died and he had debt and he had all sorts of debt and they were about to take her sons away as slaves because, to pay off that debt and Elisha came by and she begged Elisha to help her and Elisha said, what do you have? And she says, all I have is one flask of oil. He says, well, i tell you what, you go gather up as many flasks as you can. You get them from your neighbors, you get them from your house, you get them anywhere you're at. And as long as you have flasks and you're pouring oil in those flasks, that oil is not going to run out. And she poured and she poured and she poured and she sold all of that oil for enough money to get her through, uh, to, to pay off her debt and to, for her to, and her sons to live the rest of their lives. Hey, look at that principle in the... New Testament. You don't think you see it in the New Testament? Peter learned that principle for sure. I mean, remember when, when, when Jesus had, was there and he was preaching to 5,000 people and, and he said, we got to feed these people. And, and they, the disciples said, we don't have anything but, but uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. How are we going to feed all of these, these people? And, and what did Jesus say to the disciples? Hey, you just start passing it out and, and you'll feed them. And they, they, they used the two fish and the five loaves. And they fed the 5,000 and they had 12 baskets full when they were done. Peter saw that over and over again. Remember when, when Jesus came and he wanted to borrow Peter's boat. And he said, Peter, I want to borrow your boat so I can sit offshore here and preach to these people. And when he was done, he told Peter, go out into the deep. And, and I want you to go out into the deep and I want you to cast your net on the other side. And Peter said, Lord, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. Why do you, how do you think we're going to catch anything now? But nonetheless, the Bible says... He did what the Lord told him to do, and when he cast the net, it came back full of fish. You remember Peter when, when, when the, they were told that they had to pay the temple tax, and he didn't have any money to pay the temple tax, and what did the Lord do? He told him, I want you to do something really laborious, really tough. Now, what did the Lord, the loving Lord do? He said, I want you to go fishing, Peter. You're going to catch a fish and cut the fish open, and there's going to be a gold coin in there to pay the temple tax. I mean, I could go on and on and on in this process. Over and over and over again, this lesson is taught to us in the Bible. And, and, and it's a lesson that God wants every believer to learn. He, God wants to get us out of our fixes, out of our ruts. He wants to prosper us. He wants to bless us. And often when he does that, he's going to do it through means that don't make any sense. 
He's going to do it through some act that seems impossible to do, something we just don't think can happen. And when that time comes, we've got to act. If you don't act, you're, you're going to miss out on the blessing. You're going to stay in your rut. You're going to stay in your rut from then on. And so you, so you better be having an attentive ear. And I'll tell you what, if you're in a rut, you've got to tell the Lord you're in a rut. He knows you're in a rut. But you've got to tell him you're in a rut. You've got to face up to the fact you're in a rut. A lot of people live in a rut and just say, that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to live the rest of my life in a rut. You don't want to live the rest of your life in a rut. Someone in this room, or maybe several of you in this room might be saying at this point, well, God's never done anything like that for me. I've never been fishing. and he, he, I've never, He's never told me to, I've got taxes to pay. He's never told me to go catch a fish and cut it open and there'll be gold coins in it to pay my taxes. He's never done that for me. Uh, he's never done what he did for for Jacob, he's never, you know, he's never produced a big herd of livestock for me so that, that I, you know, I could prosper and get out of town and, and get out of this rut. He's never done anything like that for me. Let me propose to you some reasons why he's never done anything like that for you. First of all, I can tell you right now, if he hasn't done anything like that for you, there's a good chance you're not even saved. You're not even saved. You're not even saved. And, 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 and you can't get in on this, this, this prospering business, if you're not saved. And, and, and that's easy to fix. Real easy to fix. You just give the Lord your life. You recognize that you're a sinner, and you can fix that today. You can say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and, and, and I'm, I'm in a rut, and I, I want out of this mess and I want to serve you, and I want to be part of your kingdom, and I need my sins paid for, and you can receive Christ into your heart today. And that doesn't mean you're going to be prosperous, but that's, you got to get there first before you expect God to prosper you. That's step number one. And so if you're not there, then, then just forget the rest of these things. But I know a lot of Christians who live in ruts, and they never see God act on their behalf. And, and i got to ask why. I mean, I mean, why would he act on my behalf and not yours? Why, why would he do that? There's got to be some reasons. So what, are, what, are, what are some of those reasons? Well, one is you haven't asked the Lord. You know, I don't know how many people I deal with in the church who try to carry their own burdens, who try to solve their own problems. And... and and James says you have not because you ask not. I mean, you're never going to get your problem solved by the Lord if you don't ask the Lord. He's not going to reach down and solve your problem because you're in a fix. Now, he might do that. I mean, I can't say he wouldn't do that. But more than likely, he's not going to do that. Look, I have no doubt that Jacob at this point was desperate. I mean, he had worked for Laban 14 years and he had nothing to show for it but two wives, two handmaids, and 12 kids. Hey, that's, that's great. But you got to feed those kids. You got to take care of those kids. You want those kids to have a happy life and, and, and it wasn't going to happen uh, under the tutelage of old Uncle Laban. And, and he didn't see any way out. Now, that's something for Jacob because Jacob was a schemer and he always was trying to figure his way out of things. But I think he had reached a point, there's no way out of this but to run. That's the only way. And I have no doubt at this point that Jacob asked the Lord for help. He asked God to, to, to show him a way out of this rut. Lord, show me a way out of this rut. And the Lord answered him through a dream and uh, we know the rest of the story now. So, God will do that for you if you're in a rut. When you come to the end of yourself and you realize that you need the Lord to get you out of that fix. I, I, I know theologically a lot of people know that. But I see so many people doing everything still 
that they can do to fix their problems but going to the Lord and asking, for how, asking him how he wants to fix their problems. If the Lord is your last resort, you're not going to get any help from the Lord. He should be your first resort when you're in a rut. You've got to go to the Lord. Now, the third reason that God might not have ever worked that way for you in your life is that you're still acting presumptuously. I see this over and over again in the church. People who act presumptuously. What do I mean by that? What they do, they do what they want to do to fix their problem. And then they ask God to bless it. You're not going to get out of your rut that way. That is presumption. You don't take your own steps to try to fix your problem and then say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do to fix my problem. Now, I want you to bless it. You're not going to get blessed like that. I can tell you right now. And that's what a lot of people do. They'll say, I'm calling upon the Lord. But they're doing what they want to do, how they want to do it, and they stay in a mess. I see that over and over and over again. And you're never going to get out of that mess. You're never going to get God's help as long as you're acting presumptuously. You have got to act the way God tells you to act when he tells you to act. The reason people act presumptuously is this. They don't want to wait on God. They don't want to wait on God's solution. They don't want to spend time in prayer begging God for a solution. And so they just take off doing it. And usually they make a bigger mess than they were in before. And then they ask God to fix that. And then God doesn't fix that, and they don't understand why. Presumption is, is, is almost as bad as being an atheist, because what you're saying, you're, you're still relying on yourself, and, and, and then when you fail, you want God to pick up the pieces. And, and by his grace, sometimes he does, but that's, that's not a good way to, to, to get yourself out of trouble, is to act presumptuously. The other reason and you see this quite often too i see it in my own life we lack faith we lack faith to do what god tells us to do more than likely if you're in a rut and you've asked god to get you out of that rut you're in a problem or you're 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 not prospering and you want to prosper you're not blessed and you want to be blessed more than likely if God answers that prayer, and he will, if you ask. And if you're not acting presumptuously, and you're saved, and, and, and uh, you've, you've asked the Lord, God will get you out of that mess, but when he tells you, what he tells you to do is not, more than likely not going to make sense. It's not going to be what you necessarily want to do. What he asks you to do very well might be something that's impossible for you to do. Hey, you're in good shape when it's impossible for you to do because it's not any, not any, there's not anything that's impossible for God to do. And God wants to show you his presence. He wants to reveal his presence to you in his life. And he can only show you that. I mean, he can show you that any way he wants to show you that. But the way he shows you that are through your circumstances, through the way He guides you through your life. But there are so many Christians in this world that are not allowing God to guide them through their lives. They're guiding themselves through their lives. And they're acting presumptuously, and and then they're praying when the big mess has collapsed on top of them. They're praying for God to help them out of that. Well, God will often leave you in that mess to teach you to learn these lessons, to teach you to act by faith, to teach you not to Act presumptuously before you do anything to ask. To ask. And if you're unsaved and all these things are collapsing on your head, what's his purpose there? He wants you to get saved. So next time you find yourself up against the wall, and there will be a next time. You might not be there now, but there will be a next time. Next time you find yourself up against the wall, Remember the spotted lamb.
Remember that. Just put that in your head. How did Jacob get those spotted lambs that caused him to prosper? How did he do it? He asked. He believed. And he acted on faith. He didn't act presumptuously. And that was hard for Jacob because he's a wheeler dealer. And if you do that, I promise you, if you ask God and you wait on God and you believe God, even when it seems impossible, even when it doesn't make sense, God will bless you. You can bank on it. He will get you out of that rut in his time. You're going to have to wait. It's not going to happen. I hope it happens for you just like that. But it's probably going to take some time. Because we make some real big messes, don't we? And it takes God time to get us out of those messes. But he'll do that for every person in this room if you'll follow the lessons that we learned here in Genesis chapter 30. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you're a God who hears, you're a God who sees. Lord, you, you know what's going on in every person's life in this room right now, in every person's life in this world, Lord. But Lord, your eyes are especially on those who know you and follow you, and Lord, who have your spirit. Lord, and so we know that, that you're there, Lord, waiting Lord, to to help us, to prosper us, to get us out of these ruts, Lord. To give us the grace to, to, to go on in life with purpose and power and, and, Lord, with joy and peace. Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that's in that rut, Lord, I help, Lord, I ask that you help them to, to, to see a way out. Lord, that you show them that way out. And Lord, that by faith they believe you and they act on what you tell them to do. Lord, I know you're here waiting to, to help every person in this room, wherever, whatever fix we're in, if we'll just turn to you and wait on you and act accordingly to what you tell us to do. Lord, we, again, we just thank you for the grace that you give us, the love that you give us, and it all comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.